Welcome to Historical Fiction Unpacked. I'm your host, Allison Treat. Hello, readers. Welcome back to the podcast. You've got episode 24 of season four. And today we will be talking to Jody Headland. Um, before we get started, though, I wanted to ask you to do some things to help the podcast. Number one, make sure you are subscribed or following the podcast on your favorite app, wherever you listen to the podcast. Um, and then next, make sure you also rate and review it. That only takes, you know, a few seconds, maybe a minute, if that. And it really helps other people who love historical fiction to find the podcast so they can listen to it. And then you could join the Facebook group on Facebook. Just search for Historical Fiction Unpacked Podcast Group. We would love to have you in there. And you can also follow us on Instagram at Historical Fiction Unpacked. Those are the absolutely free ways that you can support the podcast. But as you know, it's not free to have a podcast. There are expenses involved, not to mention the um, hours and hours I spend on the podcast. So if you have it in you to support the show, I would love to have you join us on our my Patreon account. It's patreon.com slash Allison Treat. That's Allison with one L, A-L-I-S-O-N-T-R-E-A-T. So enough about that. I want to tell you about the conversation I'm going to share with you today. Award-winning author Jody Headland has enticed readers with her intriguing and historically accurate novels, from the bride ships of Victorian England to the heart of the Wild West to the shores of Lake Michigan and beyond. Headland's gift of storytelling has brought many time periods back to life. Now she takes readers on a journey through time to 14th century Canterbury in Never Leave Me, the second installment in the Waters of Time series. Now, I, I, you will hear me discuss with Jody how we talked last year about the first installment in the series, but she's going to share what the series is about, and I think you're going to love this conversation, so I won't keep you from it any longer. Here's my conversation with Jody Headland. Jody, thank you for joining me on the show today. Thank you for having me. It's good to be back. Yeah, last year you came on Historical Fiction Unpacked to talk about the first in your Time Crossing Romance series, Come mm -hmm. Back to Me. Yeah. Your latest in the series, Never Leave Me, released in January. So for those who might not have heard the episode last year, can you tell me about this series and about the newest installment oh, too? sure, yeah. Well, this is a time travel or time crossing, however you want to say that. And mm -hmm. basically, it um, takes a, a family who lives in the present time, and they, they go back to the Middle Ages and have some adventures and find true love because these are romances. And so um, the, the first book, was about the oldest sister and the father who are both research scientists who are investigating and looking for what's called the ultimate cure. And the reason they're looking for this cure is because they have had this genetic illness in their family that, that took the life of their mother or his, the, the father's wife, and now is this disease is plaguing their sister, Ellen. And so 
they want to find a way to help her. But this is a, a, an inherited disease that doesn't yet have a cure. And so the father, Arthur Creighton, has been secretly investigating for many years uh, what's known as ancient holy water. And in the Middle Ages and in, in ancient times, the holy water was believed to heal diseases or five. it was known and even recorded in history as being able to provide healing to pilgrims who came and drank of it. And mm-hmm. um, I, I know I said this probably in the first interview, but this holy water is actually uh, the stained glass windows in the Canterbury Cathedral tell stories of healings that happened as a result of the holy water. Mm. So whether that really happened or not, (laughs) we don't know if those people were truly healed, but there are a lot of evidence and books written by monks at that time. And um, that, that point evidence to something having happened with this holy water. So uh, I capitalized on that uh, ancient holy water as my vehicle for not only providing healing, but also for being having the properties to allow for someone to go back in time. And so in book one, the adventures are through um, Marion Creighton, the older sister. And now in book two, Never Leave Me, this now sets Uh, takes place about one year after Come Back to Me, the first book. And Mm -hmm. and so in Never Leave Me, Ellen, the one who's sick, is now truly on her last weeks of life. She's been relegated Mm -hmm. to hospice, and she's living with her longtime friend, Harrison Burlington. And he's also a scientist who worked with her father and her sister. And so he's also aware of this ultimate cure and, and is very aware of Arthur's research. And so he has always been in love with Ellen and, mm. as, but he's a paraplegic and he's never really allowed himself to think about getting remote romantically involved with anybody. Uh, but he refuses to give up hope that he can help Ellen and now that she's mm-hmm. dying, he's just really desperate to try and save her. And so part of his, in his desperation, he's searching for more of this holy water. Uh, and so he has men looking for him, um, antiquarians, and pe- they're looking all over the place, museums, different uh, different sites where they could possibly have had holy water where they've had there's records of miracles. He's looking and he's, he's a wealthy man. So he's using his wealth to find this. Well, it, 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 I won't say too much because I don't want to spoil it for readers, <laughs> but um, right. he does end up finding uh, a couple of, of bottles of holy water. And so when, when they find them, it's, the start of an adventure for both of them where Mm. they are both, um, you know, experience not only 
the effects of the holy water in multiple ways, but also soon learn that they're not the only ones who want this water (laughs) and that there's Mm. dangerous criminals who enter this equation and they go at any lengths to get this powerful drug. And so it, it is a very um, integrated story with the present and the past, but through it all, readers get to take another trip to the past and get to see some of the characters from book one again, and then uh, get to discover what happens to Ellen and Harrison and whether they get to find their happily ever after as well. Right. Yeah. So um, how much are this different stories in these two books intertwined? Cause I know there's, you know, one is about one sister. Mm-hmm. Do we get back to that sister to see what happened to that sister at all? Or, mm-hmm. or no? We do. Okay. Yeah. The, uh, the setting is very much similar in that um, this ancient house that belongs to Harrison's family plays a Mm -hmm. huge role in book two, book one, as well as book two. And Mm. so we get to see Ellen actually meeting with her sister, Marion and her sister, Marion is having a baby. (laughs) So it's, it's, (laughs) it's a really fun scene where they're reunited and um, Ellen, uh, she's a nurse. So obviously um, I, I, did utilize that and um, having her help Marion with her, with the birthing. So, yeah. And, and actually um, they, they also have a chance to meet up with their father, which I won't, I won't give away how that all happens, but right. um, You know, so a very interesting, uh, timeline there where the father was coming back to the past. Cause actually in book one, Marion goes back a year earlier than her father does. So mm. um, there's this kind of overlap of time that happens there. And so, right. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So um, it must be different for you to be writing. I'm sure we talked about this last year, but to be writing about time travel and I'm, I'm curious, what was it like to have this like mystical topic while you're also trying to accurately portray the different periods in time? Because you're talking about like Canterbury in the Middle Ages Mm -hmm. um, and then present day as well. You want to portray them accurately. So how did you balance all of that? Yeah, that's a a tough thing because obviously as a historical writer, you do want to portray the past with as much realism and the accurate details as much as you can. And so you're looking at the middle ages in this particular time period that both of these books are set in is around 1382, and looking at all the, of the historical things that happened during that particular time and trying mm-hmm. to stay grounded in all those historical details, while at the same time, this is very much a fantasy because it, it involves this time traveling to the past. The per- the people right. fall into a coma, which is another vehicle for the time travel. 
So in some ways, what I was hoping to sort of leave in my reader's mind was the idea, can this really happen? Maybe people who fall into comas have these realistic visions or dreams or because people who fall into Mm -hmm. comas are known to have very realistic dreams. And so, uh, you know, whether they wake up from it and die in the past or wake up or die in the, while they're in their coma and live in the past, you know, it's, it's one of those Mm -hmm. things that it's a fantasy, but I try and also merge that fantasy with that reality so that, Oh, it does sound believable, even though it's a fantasy. Um, So there's that whole element. And then, you know, as you said, there's also the, the holy water, which again, as I mentioned, you know, there's records of holy water causing healings and whether that's, you know, people from the middle ages having more of a a belief in, in miracles and superstitions and attributing miracles to things that were more natural. We don't really know, or perhaps Mm -hmm. there really was some kind of uh, were miracles that were happening for certain periods of time, whatever it is, I wanted to tie into those things so that again, you could, it would, the story would seem plausible and believable within that framework of fantasy. Right. And so I think that does help <clears throat> accomplish that balance between fantasy and history a little mm-hmm. bit more when it's not like they're in a time machine traveling and the time machine opens up and they pop out and walk out. You know, I mean, right. so this is a little bit more grounded in, oh, maybe this kind of stuff did happen and or what if you know so it leaves it leaves the door open for a little bit more right Uh, different different from a Mm sci-fi kind of feel definitely Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah so um i was curious also you talked about how the sisters marion and ellen um their mother passed away from this genetic disease um and Ellen is suffering with it now. So she's, um, you know, on her deathbed, basically, at the beginning mm-hmm. of this novel. Do you have personal experience with this disease? Or how did you decide that it would play a role in this series? Right. Well, when I was looking at various illnesses, because I wanted to have my characters grappling with a genetic disease and have this need for a cure. And so as I was looking at various diseases, uh, I wanted something that was genetic and something that would obviously be very life-threatening, but at the same time that there could be some hope for finding a cure for it. And so, no, I, I haven't dealt with any genetic diseases like that in my own family, but okay. I did do quite a bit of research on people who struggled with various diseases and, uh, and in Never Leave Me, Ellen actually decides that she wants to help children who are struggling with genetic diseases this, mm. the same way she is children in their families. And so she takes her father's 
home, historic home in Canterbury and turns it into like a, a home of refuge or relief mm. for families with young children who just need to come and have a place where they can have a break, where the parents can just rest and caregivers will watch their children with terminal illness. So she's she's now in her dying days. She's a very wealthy woman. She's trying to you know, make a difference in her last days on earth and helping children with diseases. So it was very interesting to research children mm-hmm. who had terminal diseases. And, and I drew from real life examples of children who were struggling and it was very eye opening to see how many diseases there are. And so the whole idea that she, you know, they're looking at trying to heal her, Ellen, you know, Harrison's trying to find ways to heal Ellen. But while, while she, while they're, you know, looking at themselves and their own healing and what, and how that all interacts, she also wants to find the cure now to help others. And so the whole, it brings into question a lot of ethical issues as well. Like how do you choose who's worthy of being helped? And how do you, if, if, if a cure like this were limited, who would be first Mm -hmm. in line, who gets to, who, who gets it? And, and it, you know, so it, they have to grapple with those issues and in the end uh, really look at how they want to handle all of those kinds of issues. So brings, brings a lot. I brought about a lot of interesting things to think through. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, what, what are you hoping people will get from this book from never leave me? Well, I think that, <clears throat> sorry, the characters okay. in this story really truly struggle with the issue of how do I live life to the fullest? They have both the hero and the heroine have both had dis had illness and disabilities their whole lives to grapple with. And right. so they both had to learn to live with that, but at the same time have also limited themselves and in some ways to try and protect themselves. And so mm-hmm. as as they as they work through the effects of of how they dealt with their their illnesses and disabilities they have to begin to shift how they look at living and mm. so in the, in the beginning ellen uses the serenity prayer a lot to keep her focused on embracing you know each day and enjoying one moment at a time but she's mm-hmm. never really put down roots and allowed herself to truly love. And so instead of living and enjoying one moment at a time, essentially she's allowed fear of the future and of death to dictate her ability to love. So she has to learn to give up that fear and even and to realize that even if we have 10 days or 10 years, it's still 
it's still worthwhile to love mm-hmm. and hang on to that love and to make the most of whoever God puts in our lives for the amount of time that he gives them to us. Cause we're never guaranteed of anything, no matter uh, how much time we think we have, we just don't right. know. So I think that hopefully readers will come away from never leave me grasping love and being willing to really relate to the people in their lives to the fullest because they also want to make the most of the time that God gives them with the people in their lives. Yeah. Yeah. That's a wonderful reminder. Mm-hmm. So I have noticed that um, aside from this series for Ravel, you're also releasing young adult historicals with another mm-hmm. publisher. Mm-hmm. So, First of all, how did that come about? And can you tell us anything about those novels? Sure. I have been writing young adult novels for, I want to say, I I don't, I I forget now when I actually started, but my first Mm -hmm. series was published with Zondervan, which was a, uh, a series of three books and it was about knights and their castles and their daring adventures. And then the women, these brave women who come into their lives. And so it was a really fun series to write. And uh, I loved, I enjoyed that a lot. It, It came about because at the time I was still in heavily in the midst of parenting my own teens and mm. I was wanting something, uh, I wanted romances for them that I would feel like I had a, a, a solid worldview I, mm-hmm. that I could hand it to them and I wouldn't have to worry about um, having them read inappropriate <laughs> sexual encounters. Because you know, right. I've been... Re- listening to and kind of reading some of the young adult stuff that was out there at the time. And, and I was just like, I just, (laughs) you know, I, I just was like, I don't, I don't know. I can't read everything and discern everything for them. So I just thought I wanted, I want to do this. I think it would be fun. So that was sort of what started me on my adventure with writing the middle age fantasy kind of books. And mm-hmm. so eventually I decided that I would publish this type of story on my own versus going through Zondervan simply because mm. Zondervan was nudging me in a slightly different direction with the stories that I wanted to tell. And so I, decided at that point, self-publishing had kind of come of age. And I decided, you know what, this would be kind of a fun series to publish on my own and kind of get my feet wet in indie publishing. And so that led to me doing um, a couple more books in that first series. I I added on a books four and five. And then I eventually went on to write, let's see, I have one, two, I'm on my third series 
um, since that first one. So it's actually my fourth series. Yes. So I'm in the middle of writing um, a brand new series inspired by like King Arthur and his Knights of the Round Table and Excalibur and the Holy Grail, that whole thing. So that this series, the first two books, have released and um a cup and then there'll be four more so there'll be a total of six books in this series so i'm not sure where i'm gonna go next or how if i'm gonna continue writing the the medieval fantasy um i really i really enjoy it a lot but yeah um, it i don't know i always like to try new things and so um we'll see i am I'm, I'm not entirely yeah. sure <laughs> so yeah, this is, um, it's kind of amazing. I, how do you keep all these different balls in the air? Because I know you do a lot of research for each book. And then um, how many books are you releasing each year at this point? Well, let's see. This is 2022. And I got to keep my ears straight. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. um, I had Never Leave Me release. And I will have, I also write historical romance just straight up historical romance for Bethany mm-hmm. house. And so right now I'm in the middle of a, a Western series for them. Actually, I don't write Westerns. It's more, it's just a historical romance set in the West <laughs> set <Okay>. in Colorado. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's a ranching family and it's a five book mm-hmm. series. So I'm in the middle of that and I'll have two of those books released in 2022. Oh yes. And then, Right now, um, I have at least two of the more of the the knights, the King Arthur knights books that will be releasing this year as well. So this year, it's possible. Well, for sure, five books will be releasing, but it's possible that I will squeeze in the last two books of this night series toward the end of the oh my year. Goodness. Yeah. They're, they're done. They're written. Um, they just are okay. in editing and develop. They're in cover development and editing right now. And mm-hmm. so if, if that works out, if I can find a spot in my schedule for those, it's possible. And then I'm also getting reader feedback from this time travel series, the waters of time series. And, I've gotten a lot of reader feedback asking for a third book in this particular series. Mm-hmm. And and I and so I do have ideas for that. But again, it's it's like, do I have time? Can I squeeze that in? Um, where would I fit that in a release schedule? So there's a lot of things to consider in in that yeah. as well. Mm-hmm. So what is a day in the life of Jody Headland like? Because I don't know how someone would possibly release eight books in, in a year. And that, that just seems amazing to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I haven't done eight, but I think um, I'm trying to remember last year. Um, I think the most I've released in one year, six, but on average, it's more like around five, but, um, Still, but <laughs> yeah, it is a lot, but uh, I'm at a stage of life where I have just, out of my five children, I have one still in high school and the rest are mm-hmm. either in college, grad school or on their own. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I feel like I'm at a new stage of life 
where I can work full time at my writing, which I couldn't do when my kids were right. little. And so I've been able over the last four years or five years to really carve out like a really full time schedule. And mm-hmm. I write basically when I'm when I'm writing, I've learned to increase my word count so that mm-hmm. I've challenged myself. Whereas I used to maybe have a daily word count of like 2000 words a day. Now mm-hmm. with like the last two books, I have, I gave myself a word count of 4,000 words a day. Wow. So I can literally, you know, I can, if I stick to that and most days I can, you know, if, as long as something doesn't come up or, or, um, you know, I really do guard my writing time and I make sure I do that right. first. So it's been a process of building up my writing muscles to reach that point. It's sort of like lifting weights. You know, you don't start off lifting, you know, yeah. whatever it is, <laughs> you work your way up. And I feel that the same is true of your writing muscles. Like you just gradually add on a little bit more and you push yourself a little bit harder and then you get comfortable with that. And then you can add a little bit more and get comfortable with that. So that eventually right. It doesn't seem so daunting. It, it mm-hmm. is for me. It's still at this point, like doing doing four thousand words a day. It is daunting. I know there are some writers who can crank out ten. I've seen live people do that, and I'm like, what? <laughs> but they probably work their way up to that as well. Um, yeah. But it does. It does come with, um, you know, like time and really being self disciplined and. Also, mm-hmm. I, I do, um, I, I do extensive editing. So a first draft for me, I, I literally spend as much time, if not more editing once I'm done with writing the first draft. So right, right. I, I never would say, okay, my first draft is done. I'm ready to just throw it up on Amazon, you know, <laughs> for, no. I mean, it, I literally, spend hours and I hire editors and, you know, so it, there's, and, and my, even my traditionally published books go through many, many layers of editing. So, um, that gives you some freedom when you're in your first draft to say, you know what, it doesn't have to be perfect. I don't have to get this perfectly right. I don't have to labor over every little tiny detail because I'm, I, and that then releases the story it, it allows the story to flow. And so mm-hmm. then when you're in that groove, it, it, it comes up better than you think. <laughs> you know, like you're like, wow, <laughs> that, that, I didn't think that I could, you know, put words together like that, but you know, you, you surprise yourself. And I think right. but, but that only, it really happens. I think when you give your brain that freedom, kind of release it to say, I don't have to have this all right. I can just, write it. And so I think it's a lot, I think it's a combination of a lot of things, but, um, but yeah, so that, that's, that's my journey, but everyone's looks different, you know, and mm-hmm. everyone's lives are different, what they, what they can handle. And, you know, I'm yeah. just at a point in my life where, you know, I can do it. So yeah, I'm like, why not? <laughs> <laughs> Great. And I'm sure 
doing all the writing you did when you had five kids trained you to use the time that you had. So right. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I learned back in the day, that I could never wait for my circumstances to be perfect to sit down and write. Mm, I couldn't, I actually homeschooled. And so my kids were around me 24 seven, you know, and not literally, but, uh, you know, they were involved in a lot of activities and we were doing a lot of driving and I was the taxi mom, but, um, but it, it was a busy, busy time and I would never have perfect circumstances. And I had to learn that, no matter what my life looks like, no matter how chaotic it is, I have to be self-disciplined if I want to, if I want to write. And Mm -hmm. so I would sit down, I would carve out a couple of hours here and there, and I would still do it. And so, Mm -hmm. yeah, it really did teach me, you know, because I've, I've heard, I've heard other moms or other writers say, well, when my child's in preschool, I'm going to get back to writing or, you know, when mm-hmm. I have a couple of free hours, finally, then I'll, I'll write that, you know, I'll, I'll write. It's like you, if you wait, you might be waiting forever because right. it's just never, ever going to be completely perfect. And so again, I always go back to, if you can just give yourself little goals, like 500 words a day, you know, and mm-hmm. then it all adds up, you know, over a year's time, 500 words a day is a book. And so I feel like if, if you, and you do that faithfully, it'll, it will, you'll get faster. You will eventually have more time, you know? And so it does, it does pay off in the long run. I'm, I'm living proof of that. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Oh, that's great. It's, it's inspiring really. Mm -hmm. Um, so this is a question I ask all my guests, and um, I'm sure you answered it last time, but I maybe you'll answer it differently this time. I don't know. How do you think learning about history through story helps us approach life in the present? Oh, I do remember that question. <laughs> That's a good one, but it is it's deep. <laughs> um, I I think that we story in general, whether it's in the past or the present, it gives us inspiration and it gives us um, truths that we can take away from and then walk forward in, in our lives with new perspective. And for, for example, for me, I was just recently doing some research and was delving back into little women a little bit more Mm. and just some of the nuggets of wisdom that come from the mind of people living in that era and just how they approached life. I was like, wow, you know, there's so much we can take from that as as modern day readers and look at how they approached life and, and how they just the different truths that are timeless, but that we need reminding of because maybe we don't see it the same way anymore, but it's good for us to, to be reminded of, of those, of those, just those little nuggets. And so I find that, 
I'm inspired by their lives and the character that they had and the, just the way that they lived. And, and so it, I think we have a lot to learn as we, mm-hmm. as we look back to the past and, and move forward into the future. Yeah, definitely. Well, Jody, this has been a wonderful conversation. What mm-hmm. is the best way for listeners to follow you? Well, the best way is to join my reader room on Facebook. And it's, mm. um, uh, it's I think it's just Jody Hudlin's reader room. If you type that in a search box, you should, it should pull up my group. And it's okay. there that I do the most interacting with readers and for early reading opportunities, for giveaways, for just fun questions, just for interacting with other readers. That's the place to be. But I also yeah. have a contact box on my website and I, I do try and respond to reader emails. And so that's also a way I found that over recent years, I I get tagged more so on Instagram. And so I love seeing, you know, those posts come up as well. So yeah, those are some ways to connect. Great. Wonderful. Thank you so much for being with us today. This was wonderful. Yeah. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Well, friends, I hope you enjoyed that conversation. It's always a joy to talk to Jody, And um, I just want to warn you in case you hear a piano in the background. That's just my children downstairs. It's summertime and um, they are home and I do not want to stop them from playing the piano for sure. So please check out the show notes. They can be found at alisontreat.com slash blog. That's A-L-I-S-O-N-T-R-E-A-T dot com slash B-L-O-G. And of course, if you listen to a podcatcher app that puts the show notes right into it, then you can find the show notes there, just like in Apple Podcasts and some of the others. So definitely visit those notes for links to Jody's books and to her Facebook readers group, as well as some other great links too. Of course, I have a quote for you as always. Um, this came from thinking about what Jody said about how story reveals truth. And I found this quote by St. Augustine. He said, the truth is like a lion. You don't have to defend it. Let it loose. It will defend itself. So my friends, keep speaking truth and looking for the truth and releasing the truth and keep reading historical fiction. I will talk to you again next week.